0: Okay, today we're going to learn about uh, Elisha and the Shunammite woman. It's another one of the many miracle stories that appear in chapter 4. And this particular story is by far the longest one. A lot of verses dedicated to uh, this uh, Elisha miracle story with the Shunammite. So it opens up here, verse 8. And it was that during the day that Elisha would pass through Shunamm, which is a location in Israel, and there was a Isha there, a great woman. That's the literal translation. We'll get back to it later, the verse. But in the meantime, there was a great woman there, Isha Gedola. And she would urge him to eat uh, something when he passed by. And when he would pass by, he would he would stop over there and he'd eat some meal there. So she's um, worried about him. This prophet's walking around. And she is urging him to eat like a nice Jewish mother, you know, have some chicken soup. And she's described here as being Isha So Isha again, we said it means literally a great woman, but it means also an important woman, a prominent woman, a wealthy woman. All those words are, are, uh, are true. And we'll see most of all she's a righteous woman. And that will be clear as we learn the story of her, you know, virtue. And it says she's from Shunem. So Shunem, is in the north of Israel. It's near Afula. And we had another famous woman from there, Avishag Hashunamit. She was in the very first chapter of the Book of Kings. She was David's, uh, King David's um, electric blanket in his later days when he was cold. They brought over Avishag Hashunamit to administer to him. And this woman also is from Shunam. Some say she's a relative of Avishag Hashunamit. In any case, we don't have her name. The, 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 the uh, The scripture doesn't give her her name. But she is worrying that Elisha will have a place to turn to when he travels up north. And Elisha traveled around. We can see that he's in Shunem. He's all over the place because in those days, um, the Sadiqab, like him, they're trying to, they're doing outreach. They're trying to spread the words of Torah to the, to, the, to the masses. They don't sit home, but they go out and he's active. And it's very similar to Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, was also famous for, going out circulating the Torah, uh, trying to reach a a nation that was spiritually um, in a very low level at that time, both in the days of Samuel and, of course, in the days of Elisha, we're talking about a low spiritual time. And these righteous men are very, very active in their uh, outreach and going out to to the nation to spread the words of Torah. The difference is, and the Talmud points out the difference between Samuel and Elisha, that Samuel never took anything from anybody. He says that about himself, Chamo I won't take a they didn't take a donkey from you. And and when it comes to Elisha, we see here that he is open to hospitality. He does accept uh favors. And the Talmud says that you can do as Elisha does, you can do as Shmuel does. Both approaches are legitimate. Okay, so it says in verse 9 Elisha. So she said to her husband, I, I know that this man, he's a holy man of God, who will he's passing by us regularly. So she, we see here that this woman is perceptive. She's sensitive to it. She's intuitive. And she knows that Elisha is a holy man of God. It's not necessarily that he did a miracle in front of her or anything like that. She just knows it. And she wants to do good by him. So it says in verse 10, Let's make for him a small attic, a small room in the attic. And we'll furnish it with... Uh, with a bed, a table, a chair, a menorah, a lamp, and whenever he comes by, he can crash there, you know, we'll give him a place to crash during his journeys in the north, when he's up here. So she's very considerate, she wants to do, do right by the tzaddik, she has the means to do it. We said she was prominent and wealthy, and she wants to, she wants to uh, give the tzaddik a place to rest, so it says in verse 11, Verse 11 shows that they built the place, he would go there, he would turn into that upper chamber, and he would lay down. So Elisha has the place to crash whenever he's up in the north of Israel during his travels. So let's go on to verse 12. So Elisha says to his nar, to his lad, uh, to his servant, Call that shunamite lady, so he called her and she stood before him. Verse 13. And he said to him, Now this is where it gets a little bit hard to follow, a little strange. She's in the room now with Gehezi and Alicia, but Alicia does not address her directly. He's addressing her through Gehezi. He's telling Gehezi what to say to her while they're all in the room. So that's why it's a little bit confusing to follow, but. It's obviously out of a kind of modesty where the uh, Alicia does not speak straight to the Shunammite woman, so it says like this: tell her that the following you know tell her that you have really you really busied yourself and you troubled yourself on our account what can I do for you so Gehezi is relating the message what can be done for you. Uh, obviously, Alicia wants to return a favor. He's, he understands the concept of Hakaratatov. When somebody does you good, you should do back. You should appreciate people who help you. And he wants to do good by her. So he says, You want me to speak to the king or the tzar tzava? You want me to speak to the head of the army? So Alicia, we see, has connections. You know, he he's well connected. We saw in the last chapter he was dealing with the kings of Israel and Judea, and you know he he's he knows people in the higher ranks, and he's willing to help her through some kind of uh, connections he might have. Interesting that in the last story, with the, the the woman who was widowed, and the king wanted to take everything from her, he didn't use his connections there with the king because there it was important to give a miracle, so there'd be a kiddush Hashem. Here, though. He's not trying to do any miracles, he's just trying to help her in a natural way. But she answers the following. She says, I dwell in the midst of my people. And that's a famous Israeli expression till today. But which means I'm just a regular guy. I'm not I'm grassroots, you know, I'm just Amcha. No but nobody special. So again we see her her she's a righteous woman. She she's makes herself part of the of the pu- Israeli public, she's part of the Tsibor, she doesn't take herself out of the Tsibor. She's saying she's nobody special. She doesn't want nothing. Okay, verse 14. So she's out of the room now, and um Alicia asks Gehezi, What what can we do for her? Alicia still wants to do something for her, he wants to return a favor, he wants to he doesn't want to be kfoitova, you he doesn't want to be ungrateful. And so Gehezi knows what she needs. Aval Ben he says, Gehezi says, she has no son and her husband is old. So at this point, let's talk about this Gehezi. We see that Elisha has a um, servant that he's referring to all the time. The, he's ordering around, or his shaliach, and his name is Gehezi. And he's obviously the Talmud Mufak, the prize pupil of Elisha. Just like Elisha was the prize pupil of Elijah, the prophet. Elisha has Gehezi as his prize pupil, and a lot of times these um, underlings of the righteous rabbis here—they're the, they're uh, their are uh, servants. They kind of had a feeling of what was going on on the ground, because the the Elisha, like he didn't know about the the woman's needs. He had to ask Gehezi about it, because a lot of times again the, the the rabbi's spiritual Elisha's up there in the higher realms. You know, he's dealing with big big the big picture. He doesn't really know what's going on on the ground. He needs a guy who rubs the flesh a little bit, somebody who knows what's going on on the ground. So that's his Gehezi. So Gehezi knows. It's kind of like in today in Israel when you had Ravavadi Yosef, he was the big Gadolador. And you have like a guy like Derry, his his uh, Shamash, you know, Ariyah Derry, in, in the Shas organization on the ground doing all the political stuff. He knows what's going on, you know, uh, where the spiritual leader is kind of cut off from that. and Many times though the the servant of the of the Rav like Gehezi and derry they're not really on the level of the of the uh, of the tzaddik, you know and we'll see that Gehezi certainly is not worthy of of the of the role he has here, but you know Alicia doesn't know that at this point and he's really uh deferring a lot to Gehezi in this whole story and Gehezi tells him that this woman doesn't have a son which which is right, which is true so Alicia tells Gehezin, verse 15, Krala, call her. So they summoned her. And she stood at the doorway. So she's standing at the doorway. She's keeping her distance because we saw previously that Alicia doesn't even speak straight to her. So she's keeping her distance from him. But here now he will speak directly to her in this next verse. And he says, At this time. At this direct time, right now, at ben, you will be embracing a son. So Elisha gives an amazing prophecy here. This is something even Elijah didn't do. He promised her a son. I mean, she's she's barren, right? She's old. Her husband's old. But you at ben, similar to what the angel said to Sarah, right? Sarah, this in the days of Abraham, was also older and a very similar verse was related to her, that she will be holding a son at this time. And that's where the Haftorah of Pashat Vayera, which is the Pasha where Sarah gets that news, this is the Haftorah. This episode is that Haftorah. So in any case, what's her reaction to the Psorah, to this news by the Isha Lokim, the man of God, that she's going to have a child? Well, it's kind of surprising. She says, She says, Don't disappoint! Your maidservant. So that, again, is kind of a surprising um, reaction. You you figure she'd be jumping for joy. But she says, don't disappoint your maidservant. So the simple understanding is that it's hard for her to believe that even Alicia could pull off a miracle of having a barren woman give birth at a later age. I mean, that seems to be God's domain, right? And um, she just maybe has doubts about it. So she says, don't disappoint. Don't, don't, Don't raise my hopes. At a deeper level, though, it could very be that this woman has already gone through the pain of being barren and she's already come to terms with the fact that she's not going to have kids. And she's redefined herself as a very, very righteous, fantastic, amazing woman, Ishagdola. So now it's like her world is being shaken up again and she's like renewing me from from anew. All those hopes and dreams that she kind of suppressed are being now reawakened and reopened and now, oh, wow. A chance again of having a child. Like, don't, don't, don't play with me. You know, that's just like something I I gave up on that already. Now you're just like reopening it. So that may be the idea of don't um, disappoint me. Also, according to some of the commentators, he said that you're going to be holding a child. It sounds like the child might die young because atcholbechet ben. So some of the him say he won't be shelkayma. He might. From the news there, it didn't sound like he'll be a child that will live a long time. So that's why. She reacts the way she does. Okay, so let's look what happens in verse 17. And she became pregnant. And she bore a son. And um, this son grew up. Oh, and she, let's get the verse. He bore a son. Just like Elisha spoke to her. So the prophecy is fulfilled. And again, it's pretty amazing that Elisha not only revived a dead child in this chapter, he caused the barren woman to give birth. Again, that's even Elijah, we don't see that. So, maybe that, what it means, that Elisha got twice as much as Elijah, right? So, let's go now in verse 18. So, the child grew up. And it was one day, he went out to his father, to the harvesters, or to the reapers. So, he's going out to the reapers, and he says in verse 19, He says to his father, My head, my head hurts. So the father says Elanar to one of the servants there, Say Welimo, take this kid to his mother, something's happening to him. So the simple understanding is that he went out in the hot day, and we're talking in the north of Israel. If you ever go out to the north, you know, in Tiberias, you know, in the sun, in the Reaper time, it really is hot. So he got sunstroke. That's the simple understanding. And he says that this kid's got sunstroke, bring him over to his mother. So in verse, it says in verse 20, So they brought him out, carried him to his mother. So he sat on her knees, until noontime, and he died. So the child dies. So it's tragic. We don't know how old he is exactly, but he dies. Now, just a... Uh, It could be a sunstroke. There's an interpretation by uh, Rav Ariel and Mikdash Melech that the child was totally inspired through his mother. I mean, the child was only connected to his mother. It was all uh, his mother's upbringing. And the father was kind of cut off from the whole situation. And the minute the son went out to the father, went out in man's world, he just couldn't handle it. He was weak. He was a mama's boy. And that's the problem if a child isn't... um, under the influence of both a mother and a father, or they're not both very active in his upbringing, it's not healthy for the child. He should have a father figure all the time. And we see here, the father's very cut off from the whole story. Even as we go on, he doesn't even know where the wife is going when she's on her way to Alicia to try to get the child um, revived. This father is like in the dark all the time. And that may be, according to deeper understanding, maybe that caused his death, that the minute he was out in the fields with the men, he wasn't up to it because he was soft. Okay, so let's let's go on. Verse 21. So what does she do? Now the child died, but she laid him down on her bed of the Isha Elohim. She takes him up to the attic, you know, the room that she built for him. Up to the man's room, the, the man of God's room, Elisha's room, and she closes the door and she Leaves. So this is interesting. She takes the body and brings it up to the room of the man of God. And it's kind of like saying, Look, I have total faith that the man of God is going to take care of this. I'm just bringing him up to that room. He, Alicia gave me the child. He's going to bring me back the child. That's the simple understanding why she put it on Alicia's bed. And again, she closes the door. We see that in all these miracles that they close the door behind them. The verse points out to show that blessings are done in quiet, in, in a in modesty, not in the spotlight, keep the door closed. Another idea is that, hey, if somebody finds this child has died, they might bury him before Alicia could come to revive him. So she's hiding him out in Alicia's room. Okay, so let's go on. Verse 22. So now she calls out to her husband. She says, Call me out. One of the uh, servants. I need some help here. Give me one of the servants and some one of the uh, donkeys bring me, I want to run out to the man of God, and I'll return. So she doesn't say why. She just says, bring me some transportation, bring me some help, I'm running out to the man of God. Vayomer says in verse 23, what does he say? So he's, as we said, he's kind of in the dark, this whole story. Why are you going? Uh, she continues, I love to him. Lo It's not the new month. It's not Rosh Chodesh. It's not Shabbat. It's not a festival. So he doesn't know why she's going. It's it's kind of weird that he doesn't realize that his kid was sick. He saw that the child was ill. Again, I don't want to speculate. I don't know. But he's in the dark the whole time because she says, no, everything's okay. Everything's okay, she says. She doesn't tell his husband a thing. And um, we learn from this, by the way, interesting, uh, from this verse... That Chazal teaches that it's a mitzvah, that it's an obligation, that one should go out to his rabbi on the festivals. That okay, in the day is it the Mikdash, they to the temple, they go out to the temple. But if you don't have that, go to your rabbi or to your teacher on the festival times, uh, to greet your rabbi because what we learned it from the verse. He's telling her, why are you going to see the, the man of God? Is it a festival? What is it? Is it Rosh Chodesh? Is it Shabbos? And that's how we learn that concept. And uh, obviously she used to go to Elisha on those special days to hear from him Torah. And um, he, the husband doesn't know why she's going now on a, just a regular day. And she says, Shalom, everything's okay. Again, she doesn't say a word to her husband. She's just determined to get this thing done. And she's going to do it on her own. So it says in verse 24, So she um, she uh, saddled the uh, donkey. And she said to her servant, And she's just saying, You just go, go forward, and just don't stop. Just keep going until I tell you to stop. So she's very determined to get to the Isha Lokim, to the man of God, to... Save her child. Verse 25. And she went and she came to the man of God, El Har Carmel. And he was on Har Carmel. So Har Carmel, if you recall, that's where Eliyahu uh, and Avi, that's Elisha's teacher. He made that big miracle. It's in, of course, the north of Israel, Har Carmel. And we're talking 20 miles from Shunem. So they went on a journey of 20 miles to reach Elisha. And Shelo to and it was that the man of God saw her coming from afar. That's, he sees her from this distance. And he tells the Gehezi, his servant, hey, that's the Shunamit woman. So we're going to see now in these verses that Elisha, even though he's a man of God, he's very, very human. And the verses here, he's so human and sensitive, almost just like a regular person here who just wants to know what's happening. He's kind of, uh, in the dark, like everybody else. And as much as a man of God, is also a, a man who's sensitive to the plight of this woman. And he says in verse 26, So he says, Run towards her and ask her the following Shalom Are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your kid okay? That's what you should say to her. And then the verse continues, V'tomer, Shalom. And she said, Everything is well. Now, verse 26 is an important verse in understanding Tanakh language. Elisha tells Gehezi to run towards her and ask her, Are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is your child okay? And then the verse says, And she said, Everything's okay. In other words, it doesn't get into excess verbiage where Gehezi asked her the question. It's understood that Gehezi followed through on what Elisha told him to do, and he asked her all those questions, and she said, It's okay. No unnecessary words, because the, again, the narrative in the Bible is very, very concise. So you see that here in the end of verse 26, we understand that he asked her those questions, so all we have is, and she said, Shalom, okay, which is by itself a very interesting answer. Why didn't she tell Gehezi what's going on? Why does he say it's okay? It's not okay. But we'll see as we go on throughout. She does not want to deal with Gehezi at all. She wants to deal only with Alicia straight ahead. And she will never mention, even to Alicia that a child dies. She'll never put those words in her mouth that the child died because she has hopes right through in full faith that the prophet will be able to pull off a miracle. And she wants it only through the prophet and not through Gehezi And all this time, we'll see that Alicia will be pushing Gehezi to do it, and she's insisting on Alicia. And we're going to continue next time to see what happens.